Aren't you glad your dad leaves the light on for you? I uh, am 46. I've already said that several times. You know, I've heard someone say one time that you spend your first 40 years of your life for success and your second 40 years for significance. And uh, when I did leave the vocal band and took that year off, I, uh, I really took time to read the red part of the Bible. Have you ever read the red part of the Bible? <laughs> It'll mess you up. <laughs> and you know what I found out? I found out we've been hanging around the wrong people. We've got to ha start hanging around some more prostitutes. <laughs> Jesus hung out with the outcasts. Jesus hung out with the freaks and failures and the vagabonds. The only people he ever chewed out were the religious folks. I, I read Matthew 23 and I put my name in there. I, I thought, what would I do if Jesus looked at me and said, Mark, you've gone clear around the world making disciples and you've made them twice as fit for hell as yourself. Or he, or he said, Mark, you're polished on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. That'd scare me. That's the reason now I'm a recovering fundamentalist. <laughs> really? You know why? And I tell you, it's Bill Gaither's fault. Because he introduced me to all you people. As long as I was in my little Petri dish of independent Baptist world, I was fine. From 1980 to 1988, I thought we were right and all y'all were wrong. And then I met Methodists who loved Jesus. Because when I met Bill Gaither, he introduced me. Well, he's not a Baptist either. And he loves Jesus. That freaked me out. <laughs> I, met Meth I met Catholics who loved the Lord. I met Nazarenes who loved Christ. I met Pentecostals who loved God, who could do more than shout. They actually cared about people. I'll never forget the day I met a saved Democrat. <laughs> still tell you what I was wearing. <laughs> and you know what Jesus said? He said, I told you I got sheep you don't know about. <laughs> we used to preach against y'all. I thought we were the bride of Christ and y'all were the attendants. <laughs> and I figured out later, that's why he's tarrying. You know, you've heard people say, if the Lord tarries, I've always thought that was kind of strange. What's he sitting there going, oh, can I go now? Can I go now? Okay. Oh, I better tarry. Okay. Can I go now? Can I go? Oh, better tarry. Oh, can I go now? Can I go now? i tell you why he's tarrying, because I am the bride of Christ, and he's pictured me in my gown. That'll make you put off the wedding. That'll make you postpone the wedding. Here come the bride. But, oh, that was an ADD rabbit trail. But he was always hanging around the outcasts, y'all. And you know what? That's who we were. If that sheet hadn't fallen, remember Peter in Acts chapter 10 when that sheet fell out of the sky? He, all his life, he'd been told through his scriptures that we were the outcast. We were the uncircumcised Philistines and freaks and Gentiles, you know? And all of a sudden, he'd never had a pork chop between his lips. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this sheet falls out of the sky and he sees all these animals he's not supposed to eat. And God said, get up and kill and eat. He said, oh, no, Lord, I can't do that. And you know, because that sheep fell, we got invited into the kingdom of God. We would not even know about God if it hadn't been for that sheep falling. Because he came unto his own and his own received him not. Thank God they didn't receive him or we'd still be out on the outside looking in. 
But because they would not receive him, God opened up the doors and said, go out in the byways and the highways and compel them to come in. And that's how we got in. And now it seems like after 2,000 years, the uninvited guests are standing at the door keeping other uninvited guests out. I say, throw the doors open and let them in. And you, and you know what else? I didn't make a very good fundamentalist because I never figured out how do you love the sinner and hate the sin? There's too many of you. I ain't got time to hate your sin. Hate your own sin. <laughs> Hating my sin is a full-time job. The psalmist said, my sin is ever before me. I don't have time to hate. I think it should be this. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. You hate your sin, I'll hate my sin, and let's love each other. You Baptists love the Pentecostals. Nazarenes. Because Jesus did. Remember that woman at the well? She'd been married five times. Beat that. <laughs> you know, and he went in the middle of the day to meet her. Remember that? All the respectable women came early in the morning. But since he had no time for respectable women, because he knew they didn't need him and they didn't want him, he knew that woman who'd been married five times was going to be there that afternoon. And he showed up. And he told her, you've been married five times. And you know, you might think, well, I can't ever really follow the Lord. I... I've been divorced. You know, when I was growing up, that's about the worst thing that happened to you. I don't remember people getting divorced in our church when we were growing up. And if they did, they left because they were embarrassed. But now so many of y'all been divorced, we have to let you in or we wouldn't have a crowd. <laughs> but did you know I read in Jeremiah 3.8 that God has been through that too? Did you know that? God has been divorced. In Jeremiah 3.8, don't look it up for yourself. Don't believe me just because I'm holding a microphone or might have an 800 number. <laughs> Read it for yourself. Jeremiah 3, 8, God divorced Israel. Think about that. God's been through what you've been through. God's been divorced. God couldn't pastor a Baptist church. He knows what we're going through. And you say, oh, but my kids didn't turn out. Neither did his. <laughs> Greatest parent who ever breathed the breath, his kids rebelled. But don't you understand? It is your very brokenness that attracts him to you. That's what the cross was. It's like a supersonic vacuum cleaner sucking up the failures of humanity and exchanging all of our brokenness for his righteousness. Man, you can't beat that deal. If some other God had a better deal, I'd follow him. But we got a God who laid down his very life for us. Knowing we were broken. Knowing that we're sinners. Knowing that we'll go through broken homes and broken lives and broken dreams. If, he could have, if we could have been good enough, there'd been no need for Jesus to come and die for us. Oh, you're looking. Let me tell you who you're looking at. You're looking at a beggar trying to tell other beggars where the food is. God spreads grace like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. He gets it all over everything. <laughs> and he wants you. Guys, that is the recovering fundamentalist OG, Mark Lowry. The man who coined the term recovering fundamentalist. 
And you know, Bill Gaither did not want me to call that video. That did. He wanted me to call it a recovering Pharisee. I said, I don't know what that is, and I've never been one. <laughs> I said, but I was raised independent, fundamental, Bible yes. Bible banging, foot stomping, soul winning, door knocking, pew jumping, devil chasing, mm-hmm. King James Version yes, only. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's going to be a good episode. We've got Mark Lowry on the podcast today. Y'all ready to get it started? Let's do it. I am ready. Let's go. Starts in three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Hey, man, <laughs> you know what? I, I tell you what, I found Jesus there. <laughs> yeah, I yes, sure did. Sir. You know, Jesus can find you anywhere. Wow. <laughs> Even in a fundamentalist church. Yes. And let me tell you something else. There's one thing I'm grateful for. They got his name right. Yeah. If they did nothing else but get his name right. I'll be forever grateful. I didn't have to weed through Buddha and Mohammed and all those others to find Jesus. Now, I did find he was a lot nicer than they ever told me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I found that that he is crazy about me. I found out that he is, yeah, he's watching everything I do because he loves me so much he can't take his eyes off of me. Mm-hmm. It's not so he can destroy me if I stumble. It's it's because his child walked into the room. Yeah, Do man. you guys have kids? Yes. Yes, sir. Six, six of them. When your kid walks in the room, does everything else fade into oblivion? I mean, I don't know if it's that. that I mean, I, no, you're saying no, it doesn't. <laughs> but I remember, let me tell you something. I remember sitting behind Jerry Falwell, the, the original fundamentalist. Oh, yeah. At a basketball game when I was a student at Liberty. I was sitting behind him. I remember his son, Jonathan, walked in across the room, you know, on the other side. Amongst all those people, I saw Jonathan with his bright red hair, and I saw Jerry Falwell's head turn and mm. look at Jonathan and watch Jonathan as he walked all the way across the bleachers and sit down. And I remember thinking he wasn't watching him to see if he's going to mess up. <laughs> he was watching him because the apple of his eye walked into the room. Yeah, and man. if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. Come on. How much more? Mm. You, you know, the love you have for your children is a broken image of the love of God. I mean, it is multiplied that by infinity 
and you'll have what God, you know, in his heart when you walk in the room. Mm. I believe this. Now, my options are good God, bad God, or no God. I'm believing he's good. Yeah. And that he is everything, you know, really, Jesus is everything God had to say about himself. Wow. And this one got started off right off the bat. I absolutely love it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian, Nathan, and JC. Special host today, Mark Lowry, is on the podcast with us. In the house. Hey, we want to thank our sponsor, Free Life Soap. They've been making people smell good for a long time. Free Life Soap. Free Life. You can check them out today by going to therecoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the promo tab, Free Life Soap. Use your code RFP. Get 20% off of your purchase when you use the code. Guys, Vegas was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Are y'all are y'all better? Are we everybody good from that week in Vegas? JC, that trip was amazing. When I pulled that one single slot, <laughs> that one nickel that I put in there and yeah. won that million dollars, that was that was incredible. It it's changed true. my life. We all flew home on the private jet. Mm. Thank you, Lord. It was divine Hallelujah. providence that that happened. I walked around that nickel slot, <laughs> named it, claimed it, laid hands on it, blowed a shofar, like I was going to win, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a great trip. Well, guys, you must have gone to Vegas without me because <laughs> I don't think we've left yet. <laughs> you, got, you guys are talking about how awesome it was and how great it was. Come on, man. We actually get on a plane tomorrow. Yeah. JC and I are flying out a little bit sooner than you, and we are getting on the plane in Atlanta, Georgia, flying directly to Vegas. Man, we are fired up. JC, have you been to Vegas before? So when we lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, my brother and sister-in-law came down, and we drove the four and a half hours from Salt Lake to, to Vegas. I had two kids, three years old and under, walking around Vegas. It might be the closest thing to hell I'm ever going to experience. It was, <laughs> it was not fun, but um, it was incredible. I love lights and just driving around. But you know what I found out today, Nathan, Brian? My favorite restaurant in the entire world is in Vegas. They have no one way. out there. It's called Cafe Rio. My gosh, they have this sweet barbacoa burrito. They put it in a burrito. They put enchilada style with extra cheese and rice and black beans. They stick it Ooh. through a warmer. My gosh, I make a Baptist want to speak in tongues. It is so good. I can't wait. We're going to eat there. We're going to eat there maybe like eight times. At least I am. <laughs> then I want to know who's going with y'all to watch over y'all to make sure you behave. <laughs> because you take a Baptist, you take a Baptist and let them loose in Vegas, they will Double that offering so fast. <laughs> All three of our wives are going with us. Oh, good, yeah. good, 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 good. Thank That's the Lord. Good. Yeah, they'll watch you. And JC, you're going to rub going to that restaurant in my face when you know I don't have my taste right now or my smell. That is not <laughs> fair. I haven't recovered yet to get my taste or my smell back. Oh, You're going to have to pray for divine intervention that I'm going to get that back before we go. I'm telling you, Cafe Rio... If there's anything that could bring it back, amen, Cafe Rio can do it. <laughs> Look at Mark putting hand sanitizer on because he's watching I you am, on I'm, Zoom. When I, heard he had, when I heard he had COVID, I had to immediately grab the hand sanitizer. So as of yesterday, you're out of quarantine, right, Brian? Yes, I am free. No longer contagious. But on the day that this is airing, you're two weeks out of quarantine. Yes. You got your man. taste back. I'm prophesying right now that you have your taste back right now. Amen in the name. You're a bad bitch. You can't prophesy. I know. That just... 
Yeah, that prophecy is about as good as Greg Locke saying Trump's going to be president for four more years. Oh, isn't that the truth? Mm. He's still saying that. What are they expecting to happen? What is, you know, thank God we had a peaceful transfer of power. Thank God. If we lose that, it's over. So, Mark, do you remember in history when Ellen G. White, the Seventh-day Adventist prophetess, prophesied that Jesus was coming back in 1844? Well, they got to 1844, and it didn't happen. So then they had to transition and say that he... He returned in heaven and went into the inner chamber. Mm. So he's ruling and reigning from the inner chamber in heaven. And I think what happened was Donald Trump entered into the inner chamber, and he's the president. We just can't see him as president. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't have any prophets like that in the Baptist, independent, fundamental Baptist world. Oh, no. No, We're not allowed to use that word. I think that uh, the good news is, the good news is the King of Kings yes. is never reelected. <laughs> He's never voted out. That's right. He will always be there. Thank God. I remember 1988 when I was at Liberty. 88 reasons why the Lord is coming back in 1988. Y'all, oh, I had yeah. my white robe on that whole year. I was just joking. Come on. <laughs> I believed it. And I've lived long enough to know that, mm. you know, Jesus said, they said, when are you coming back? He said, I don't know. Only my father knows. And he hadn't told me. But you'll have to wait till John Hagee gets here. And he'll figure out. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody had to come preach on the blood moons. I mean, because it cannot happen until after the blood moons. And then there there has to be a dramatic pause so you can wait for the audience to clap. You, you know that, Mark. Jesus can't come uh, until all those things happen. And then the red heifer. Oh, yeah. Hopefully nobody watches y'all's podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> the pre-trib thing that I was raised in, I believe in the second coming. The entire, all the church fathers believed in the second coming. Mm-hmm. A rapture is something different. Because it gets us out of here so we don't have to have any trouble. And then there's seven years that happens, and then this happens. Well, you know, Mark, the the rapture and the pre-tribulation rapture is actually, for the most part, a Western theology. That Mm -hmm. wasn't preached anywhere else in the world. So my mother spent her life hunkering down, waiting on Jesus to come. My mother. Mm. She's over in the corner shivering waiting on Jesus to come back to save her. Well, my Jesus said to be salt and light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amen. Until he comes, right? We grew up with the rapture being a fearful thing. Like, you know, it's going to happen at any moment. In a twinkling of an eye, the thief will come. And I was, man, I always got worried that the rapture happened. If my parents, I couldn't get a hold of them when I'd stick a quarter in the payphone, I'd be like, oh no. I'd go and call the church secretary just to hear her say hello. I was like, okay, I didn't miss the rapture. I, <laughs> Me I, was, too. Terrified. I was terrified of it. I'd get down by, oh, and just think, guys, how that must hurt the father mm. to look at his children who, he wants to, yeah. you know, do you want your kids to be uh, be scared to come into your presence? Motivated by fear. Isn't that a horrible motivation? Oh, uh, it is. 
Man, I'd want my kids, if I had kids, I'd want them to come running into my presence, jump up into my arms. I don't care how old they got. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is yeah. my image on legs coming at me. Mm. Hey, Uncle Mark, I've got six kids. You can come babysit anytime, and you'll oh. be like, man, thank God I don't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are 11 years old and under. They're like chihuahuas. Oh, they never I, would love to, I would love to visit that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, visit. Oh, you know, the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of mm. power and of love and of a sound mind. And isn't it sad? You know, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but there are a lot of pastors that... Oh, yeah operated in God's stead and mm. they made sure That's and infused right. us with the spirit of fear. You know, for a yeah. long time, I never even had the concept of God being anything other than what I should be afraid of. And anything and everything that I enjoyed was sin. Wow. Mm. How attractive is that? I mean, let's just think, I don't know if God thinks like us at all, but we are in his image. Yeah. Yeah. And we are his his likeness. And so I think that what the deal is, these preachers who who did that to us, it's because it's easier to control people with fear than with love. You know, if yeah. you if you teach them to love, you're gonna raise up priests. If you teach them to fear, you're gonna raise up sheep. Yeah. And what do you want to raise up? in your congregation. I would hope that like Bill Gaither, you would hope, hopefully raise up people that will put you out of business. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's what I love about Bill Gaither. He found it, he found Sandy Patty, he found me, he found Steve Green, he found all these people really in our individual talents are more talented than Bill Gaither. Mm -hmm. But he gave us a platform on which to become superstars in our little world, right? In our little tiny world, we're a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and in the process, Bill Gaither became a legend. Mm -hmm. So it always is in your best interest to build everyone else up. It's true. Mm -hmm. He also raised up some incredible singers but got a lot of people demerits and kicked out of Christian school. We've had yeah. stories over this last year of people that have gotten demerits and been dormed and been campus because they were listening to Steve Green or to Sandy wow. Patty or people at Larnell Harris, you know, they're they're getting there. And what? so in this Was world Pensacola College. Uh man, I can't remember. Yeah, Pensacola, Pensacola Crown College. Bob Jones. Bob Jones was a big one. Yeah. yeah. Crown College. Mark, I can remember hearing people say that the Gaither vocal band had gone contemporary when there was a shift. Well, it kind of did. Yeah. So, Mark, your time with uh, the Gaither vocal band, you know, you were, you were a hoot. My favorite Mark Lowry moment with the Gaither vocal band that was absolutely hilarious, I was laughing uncontrollably, was the day that you, you wore Jake Hess's toupee. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, everybody knew that he had on a toupee. Like, it was a hair hat. It was so Likewise. obvious. Right. Oh, and yeah. you took that moment, well, and it was just hilarious. You know what I loved about Jake Hess is that, is that you'd ask him, what wig are you going to wear tonight? And he'd say, whichever one the grandkids aren't playing with. 
<laughs> and he had several, you know. He just, it was just. I love it. Everything was okay, you know. I mean, when you wear a wig that's that obvious, you don't Oh, care. yeah. You don't yeah. care. Yeah, the one that I cannot believe I got by with, of all the things I ever got by with, I cannot believe the night Bill Gaither had me do that very same shtick, but with Gloria. It's where we're hitting, I can't remember, we're singing something, and I say to her, I can sing that part. I can. You, you can be replaced or something like that. And yeah. I say, I could wear that dress. I remember okay. that, yeah. And then I say, after that, not only did I say I could wear her dress, but on top of that, I said I'd have to take it in a few sizes. I saw that. <laughs> oh, no. I saw that. That was with Michael English and the new guy, the little short guy. Wasn't it? I remember that. That's awesome. And I got by with it. Oh, dude. Because Gloria loves me and everybody knows. I you know what I think it is with the humor I've done? is that people just know I love these people around me. And if they can sense <laughs> that you really love them, you can get by with murder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> oh, tell Gloria Gaither I'd have to take her dress in a few sizes. <laughs> Dear oh, Lord, man. when it came out of my mouth, I was regretting it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I love but it. But it was too late. It was too late. Well, Mark, this is the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, and what we like to do on here is stories. And we've had folks this past year writing in, sharing their stories, like telling us what their life was like in legalism, out of legalism, what God's doing in their life now. And I know our listeners, because you have been one of the most requested interviews since we started this podcast, we get tagged in your video two to three times a week, no joke, for the last year. And so I think it would be awesome for you to go back and just take us back to the beginning, like what life was like growing up uh, in an independent fundamental Baptist world, you know, your dealings with legalism, um, you know, kind of how God led you out of that, how you got with the Gaithers, you know, just just share with us your story and feel free to say names well, and go as deep as you want and have fun with it. Well, my earliest memory is at the Berean Baptist Church in Houston, Texas on 11th Street. And Brother H. Frank Fort was the man who led my past, uh, my papa, my grandfather to the Lord. And uh, they joined his church and it was a great church. And we stayed in this church, had a big choir, you know, just, it was a wonderful childhood. Mm-hmm. And we were in this church until we got this new preacher when Brother Fort passed away that started preaching we were going to have to go through the tribulation. Well, my dad didn't want to go through the tribulation, so we found a church that was going in the rapture. (laughs) (laughs) And and I always felt sorry for those people at the old church having to go through the great tribulation when they could have walked across the street and joined that church that was going in the rapture. Oh, but man. We, jo- we joined the Greenwood Village Baptist Church that believed in the rapture because my dad didn't want to go through the tribulation. See, if you're from Texas, if you don't like what one person's preach, one church is preaching, cross the street. Mm. Truth. If you die and go to hell from Texas, it's your fault. <laughs> and uh, so we joined this church, and it was a wonderful church, and I met the Lord at church camp. Beulah Land was our church camp. Mm. And uh, 
on a Tuesday night, June 5th, 1973. And you know, I'm 62 now. And I look back on that and I thank God for that experience. But I think I knew the Lord long before that. I think I've known him since the day mama told me his name. Mm-hmm. Because I've loved him since the day she told me his name. I've just loved Jesus. But on June mm-hmm. 5th, 1973, I threw my stake in the ground and said, you know, as for me and my house, I'm going to believe this. And then I've spent my life trying to convince people that a man rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. I've done it through humor. I've done it through songwriting. I've done it through uh, singing, concerts, whatever. Books, children's books. I've, I've done a lot of things because I'm not really good at any one thing. I've done a lot. <laughs> you know, I've thrown a lot of things on the wall and hopefully some have stuck. That's the reason I could never add politics to it. Yeah. I've never mm. understood why any pastor would want to, because I believe once you wrap a flag around the cross, you've made yep. a moot point out of both of them. They're Amen. both ineffectual. It's Amen. two separate kingdoms. Which mm. kingdom are you going to be a part of? And I learned it, I guess, when I joined the Gaither Vocal Band, I got on the Gaither's bus, Bill and Gloria, loved me, but they knew I was a hard-nosed fundamentalist. I got on there. I could not believe how few absolutes they had because I had so many. Mm. You know, I mean, their absolutes were basically God rose from the dead, and that's about it. Virgin birth, (laughs) sinless life. And and I've done mine down to that. I've I've really, I'm now a true fundamentalist because I've yielded to the fundamentals. Yep. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the sinless life. I believe he rose, he was crucified. He rose from the dead. And he is crazy about me. Mm -hmm. That God would rather die than live without me. Mm. And he feels the same way about everyone hearing, everyone listening to me today. He would rather die than live without you. That's why God came to the earth. And so basically, when you add politics to it, you really cut your crowd in half. Mm. Mm. You know, number one. Number two, why? We don't need another stumbling block. Trying to convince people a man rose from the dead is a big enough issue. (laughs) You know, why would you add politics to it. In my opinion, I like Jerry Falwell. I actually loved him. He was a friend of our family. My parent, my dad still lives there, but he took a complete pew off the gospel trail into politics. Yeah. I'm sorry he did. When he started that moral majority, dear God, yeah. what a fiasco. You know, mm-hmm. it's no longer about Jesus. It's about a Ronald Reagan. I remember it all. Sorry, it's an abomination. Mm. Lift up Jesus. Amen. That's it. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, Mark, talking about stumbling blocks in John chapter 11, you know, Jesus came, Lazarus was dead. They thought he had arrived late. He was actually right on time so that God would be glorified. And he stood outside of the tomb, and Jesus said to the people, You roll away the stone. Now, think about it. Jesus had the power to resurrect Lazarus from the dead, so Jesus had the power to remove the stone, but Jesus allowed them to do what they could do 
so that right. he could do what they couldn't do. The only mm. thing between him and the resurrecting power that Lazarus desperately needed was the stone. And so they rolled away the stone. And you know, so often, instead of the church rolling away stones, we roll stones in the way that keep people from experiencing the life-changing, yeah. resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. And it just makes no sense. Mm. The directive of Jesus is roll away stones, not roll stones in the way. So right. I, I agree with what you're saying. We put stumbling blocks often in the way that aren't necessary. When right. there's a political party or there is a dress code <laughs> or there, you know, all these different things that we make people do. Preferences. Oh, yeah, preferences, man-made preferences. It felt like when I was a kid that they would take their preference, wrap a scripture around it, yep. and call it, it a conviction. Mm. Come on. Yep. Now think about yeah. that. They take their preference. Man should not have long hair. They find 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. doth not even nature itself teach you. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. They preach sermons on that, and it becomes a conviction. A conviction is something you would die for. Right. A preference yeah. is something like, you know, I, I prefer uh, chocolate ice cream, but I wouldn't die <laughs> for it. Right. Yep. I prefer, my dad did it the right way. My dad didn't say, hey, boys, 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen doth not even nature itself teach you it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Amen. Amen. Now, you know what he said? You want to eat here? Get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, don't you agree? Guy Penrod kind of broke down that barrier because I can remember when van loads and car loads of people from our churches that preached against long hair would go hear Guy Penrod sing with the Gaither vocal band, and they loved him like crazy. I mean, all it took oh, yeah. was, and when time has surrendered, I mean, when you would get to that big note, they'd be up on yeah. there shouting, oh, and yeah. it didn't matter about his hair. Oh, he really <laughs> did break that down, didn't he? Because when he first came, there was some backlash, but, you know, he's full grown. I love what J.D. Sumner used to say. I'm full grown. <laughs> I don't have to listen to those people. And you know what? A lot of those people, bless their heart. Have you seen that bumper sticker that says, Jesus, please save me from your followers? <laughs> yes. Isn't that sad? But it's yeah. funny, but it's sad yeah. because they're nothing like him. Secular world, they don't have an issue with him. Mm -hmm. They've got an issue with his idiot children Mm -hmm. who are yeah. out spanking the devil's children. You know, I mean, it ain't right. I, if I came over to your house and just beat the tar out of your children, you'd think I'd lost my mind. You're invited <laughs> anytime you want to. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we spanking, number one, God's kids? Why are we spanking? And you, I mean, some people, they don't feel like they've been to church unless they got a whipping. It's true. Ooh. Yeah, and it's just, you know, why would you want that? Why do you want to be abused? But, you know, I can honestly say my independent Baptist preacher, Brother Harold Clayton, never abused us. He never preached against movies. We could actually go to movies. Mm. Um, you know, he preached against some things. But he was, he was a loving man, you know. And a lot of those guys were full of grace. Not all of them were mean. Some of them, True. you know, believed all that stuff, and yet the grace overrode it all. 
Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you know, you can speak the truth in love. That's the right way. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're commanded to do. So, Mark, you not only were raised independent fundamental Baptist churches, but you've also traveled the country and sang and spoken and done things. What is What are some of the craziest things that you've seen and heard in churches across the country? Well, I, I know I've heard you tell stories and things about that, so... Well, let me think here. It's been so long since I've really, <laughs> you know, been in the, hear the workings because I don't listen to gossip. You know, I, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, if I were, were to run across anyone who starts to tell me that, I would cut them off. I just don't do it. I used to, but I quit doing that because it's just not right. It's gossip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slander is one of the big ones, you know. And mm-hmm. I love it now when people come and say, have you heard such and such about so-and-so? I say, no, <laughs> but next time I see him, I'll tell him you asked. <laughs> yep, yep. And yeah. let me tell you something. People don't gossip to you anymore after you do nope. that. But um, as far as crazy stuff, you know, some of the stuff I've heard on y'all's podcasts and other podcasts, y'all got the clips now. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Some of those crazy... Well, recently I've heard these these prophets, quote unquote, who mm. said Donald Trump would be president and then he wasn't, and they're trying to make it happen anyway, or mm-hmm. believe in God for another date and go just bizarre. That's the craziest thing I've seen lately. Yeah. yeah. Mark, can you take us through what what initiated in you to write the song Mary Did You Know? I mean, that song has been on so many recordings. It's been on so many movies. That song has been sung literally around the globe. What, what initiated that in your heart and made you put uh, pen to paper? Well, it probably goes way back to my childhood because my mother and I talked about Jesus all the time. We, the only thing we ever really agreed on was Jesus. We would fight about everything else. Because I, especially after I'd read The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll, have y'all read that? Every fundamentalist needs to read The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. That is really when I learned how crazy God was about me. Mm -hmm. And I would come home and tell mama stuff I was learning, and she'd never liked it. She loved the law. No one could keep the law like mama. (laughs) <laughs> and but no one could break it like me, so I needed grace. You know, <laughs> my mother and I would d- talk about what it was like raising God a lot. We thought we, you know, she was thirteen. I heard in Bible college they said she was thirteen. In my thinking, that you know, in that era, that's half grown. I mean, they only lived what to forty, and they dropped dead. Now we got medicine; people don't know when to die, <laughs> but. <laughs> Back then, you know, they would they'd make it 40 and it was over. My mother and I talked about what was that like? I wonder if she realized, you know, all the things that were coming. And we know what the angel told her, but he didn't tell her everything. He told her a lot, but he didn't tell her, you know, he'd walk on water, he'd raise the dead, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the dead would live again, all these things. like. And so in my mind, when I wrote it, the big angel comes first, and then the Mark Lowry angel shows up right after, and he is so excited about Jehovah lying in her lap. 
the fullness of the Godhead. And he's jumping around like a little hyperactive angel saying, Mary, it's not literally Mary, did you know? It's a, have you any idea who's in your lap? It's mm. more, it's more, I don't even know the word. It's more like, oh my, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Rhetorical question. Yes, rhetorical, that's the word. It's not that I thought I was mansplaining to Mary. <laughs> you know, who is in her lap. It said, oh my gosh, Mary, can you believe it? Mm. He's here. Yeah. Jehovah, that, in, that mm. compressed and compacted into that eight-pound bundle is the fullness of the Godhead. He has finally come to us. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, have mercy. Oh, I can just, oh. And you know who I feel sorry for is the people in the motel. <laughs> <laughs> they missed it all. They missed yeah. it. <laughs> While God was being born in the barn, they had a good night's sleep. Mm. Wow. Mm. I've never That's thought crazy. about that, feeling sorry for them before. Yeah. And the angels had to go find some shepherds. Oh, yeah. And they spoke to them. They didn't sing to them. Did you know that? Yeah. Right. I've, I've always heard they sang, but no, they spoke. Sang. Now, I believe angels can sing, but that particular night they just spoke. Anyway, so uh, my mother and I would talk about it. And then in 1984, my pastor called me and said, would you write the Living Christmas Tree program for our church? And I being young in 1984 and not knowing that I couldn't, I said I would. <laughs> and I proceeded to write a Christmas, and it was hard. So finally I ended up just writing monologues to go between songs. The first half of the program was all secular music. The second half was all spiritual music. And then I wrote monologues, you know, like I would do for my own shows. And I wrote this one monologue to introduce some song, I don't remember which song it was, but the monologue said, I wonder if Mary realized the authority and the majesty she cradled mm -hmm. in her arms that first Christmas. I wonder if she realized those little fingers that were wrapped around hers were the same hands that had scooped out the oceans and formed mm -hmm. rivers, and those little lips were the same lips that had spoken the worlds into existence. And when Mary kissed her little baby, she wasn't just kissing another child. She was kissing the face of God. Mm -hmm. And so it was that type of thing. So uh, the pastor would get up every night before the invitation, because, you know, Independent Baptists, we always have an invitation. Amen. And Amen. We quote that. And so after the show, after those shows were over, I went back and revisited that and then thought, okay, now if I were sitting down with Mary and could have a cup of coffee, what would I ask her? And I wrote down a lot of questions, but the ones that rhymed made the hmm. song. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So what year was that when you wrote it? 1984. Wow, I was two years old. That's incredible. Buddy Green wrote, uh, <laughs> were you really? Yeah. <laughs> Buddy Green wrote, gosh, you look so much older than that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> there it is, Brian. <laughs> Buddy, Green, uh, Buddy Green wrote the music in 91. Michael English recorded it that That's year. incredible. So how old wow. are you? I'm 38. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you other guys, how you... 
I'm Bruce, 45. 45, I'm Brian. 50. Is that you're closer to my, I'm 62. Hey, yeah. Brian, you're not the oldest one in the room right now. Yeah, that's right. I Brian. mean, what's incredible, though, is like God has taken that song, and that's like the soundtrack of Christmas. So it's Mark Lowry and Mariah Carey. I mean, congrats. You are with Did her. You know, too. she wrote her song the same year I wrote Mary. Did that's you what know? I was thinking? Yeah. Same year. Yeah. It's unreal. And then Daggum Christmas shoes came in and ruined it all. Sorry, I had oh, to go in. <laughs> so, Mark, you've kind of made a living making fun of other people or picking at other people. You know, we were talking about it earlier with Gloria and with Bill and his hair. And and then, you know, there was the time that, you know, all of them were singing their fancy parts and you were kind of just, you know, there and, and you were looking at them side to side and then you had the crowd laughing as you made fun of Bill, you know, and all of his facial, you know, expressions and all that. I know you've had to have seen the memes about Mary, did you know? Oh, Lord, yes. So how does it make (laughs) you feel when the guy who has made fun of people for everything from their size to their toupee to their (laughs) facial expressions, how does it make you feel when you see people and they're, they have a hilarious oh. theme about you. Oh, I love it. It makes me feel like I've made it, you know? It's like, if you're made fun of, it's that the song matters. You know, I'll tell you what. When I was sitting and watching, when Jordan Smith sang Mary Did You Know on The Voice a few years ago, I was sitting in my Lazy Boy, which is my favorite place on earth. And, and the Lord knows that's my favorite place. And when I leave you... Tonight, that's where I'll be headed, to my Lazy Boy. And I was sitting in my Lazy Boy, not knowing that he was about to sing it. I heard he might, but, you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. And they said, right after this commercial, Jordan Smith will be singing, Mary, Did You Know? And that was the first I knew for sure. And then it came back. And I have the subtitles, you know, going across the bottom because I'm old. <laughs> and I, I don't hear as good as I used to. And he got every word right. I mean, every word right. And I'm sitting there and I start crying, thinking, oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord. Uh-huh. I mean, and I texted Jordan. I got his number. I texted him. I said, thank you so much for allowing me to sit in my lazy boy and through you tell the world what I think about Jesus. That's mm, awesome. Wow. And I didn't have to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And it's almost like the Lord, I, if I couldn't have dreamed that up. Mm. Nope. I mm. couldn't have dreamed that up. Mark, I've heard people say that we very rarely ever get to see the impact that we make on the world. But every once in a while, I I believe God allows the curtain to be pulled back to let us see kind of the George Bailey moment where we get to see in It's a Wonderful Life, where we see that our life really does make a difference. And that's one of those moments for you. That's one of my, that's definitely my favorite Christmas movie, but I love that movie. Yeah, it is. It is. And I can't, and I I try to explain to people this. I say, y'all, neither Buddy nor I have done this twice. Wow. (laughs) If Gloria Gaither had written it, It'd be one of many. If Diane Warren had written it, it would be one of many. But God let an idiot and a harmonica player (laughs) (laughs) write this song. And I know 
It was a gift from God. I had done something. Buddy Green and I have done something Bill and Gloria Gaither could not do. I've tried and couldn't do. And that's break into the Christmas, the Mm. yearly come around Christmas thing. And I didn't intend to. I didn't (laughs) even write it as a Christmas song. I just wrote it. Michael English put it on his record, and it wasn't a Christmas record. But then the guitar player for that project went across town, told Kathy Matea about it. And Kathy recorded it on her Christmas record. And then somebody told some opera singer named Kathleen Battle. And the first three cuts of that song were contemporary Christian, country, and opera. Wow. Genre. Being crossing the genres. There is a disco version. (laughs) You know way. It's by Christine W. A friend of mine calls me, right? One of my worldly friends who's in a disco and he's got a <laughs> phone going and they're pl- and Christine W is singing Mary Did You Know in this disco and he's on the dance floor with a bunch of his friends dancing, holding up the phone. Mark, your song is in the disco. And he holds <laughs> the phone up and I hear, Mary, did you? Mary, and she enunciates every word, which she knows wow. we made it worth it because I don't eat now. I don't even have to go to the discos. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm preaching in the discos every Christmas. That's hilarious.
So Mark, just a little bit ago, you were talking about how you came out of fundamentalism, but you're thankful for that. Were you ever in Awana? I'm curious. Did you go you to know, Awana? I wasn't. I think Awana's was, I was too old. Oh, okay. When, yeah. I, I mean, I guess our church didn't have Awana's, either one of them. But now, uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church, when I went to mm-hmm. Liberty Baptist College in 1975, um, they had a Awana. The year I was born. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> 1975, and I graduated in 1980. 1980. Yeah, yeah but awesome. I'm, I'm so thankful, you know. Um, it wasn't a horrible experience for me. I mean, I, I think I, I've had to remove some cornerstones. Mm-hmm. There were too many cornerstones. There don't mm. need to be so many absolutes, and there were too many in the independent Baptist. You know, you couldn't mix swim, you couldn't yeah. cut, you couldn't have long hair, you all these things. But man, they we had to memorize the Bible. Sure, mm. you know, so we could beat the other Baptists at the Bible quiz at youth camp. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know. So we- you were traveling with the Gaithers, like after college, when you got in with the Gaithers and stuff, and you start seeing all these other denominations and other traditions that weren't independent fundamental Baptists. What was it like, and and what was the transition, if you will, or that that coming out of that legalistic background where you're like knowing this, and and how was that? How was that coming out and seeing that Pentecostals love Jesus and Presbyterians oh, yeah. love Jesus and Methodists love Jesus? I never forget the day I met a saved Democrat. <laughs> what? Come on. Honest. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Because there are many, many <laughs> You know, I mean, truthfully, I mean, I, I don't want anyone to think, it's, oh, he's one of those. No, I believe a lot of my friends are Democrats. There's some Christians who love Jesus and they're Democrats because they love Jesus. Sure. And they don't understand how you can be a Republican <laughs> and love Jesus. You know, I mean, there's there's thinkers on both sides of this issue. You know, I met people who love Jesus, who didn't think like me. You know, I mean, I, my spirit bore witness with their spirit. Mm-hmm. They were madly in love with the Lord, and uh, yet they were Presbyterians. They were, but that just meant, man. Then I want to know how did you come to these conclusions? It opened yeah. up a whole new world of an adventure of. Uh, questions and discovery. And uh, obviously I love questions, you know. I think I love questions more than the answers sometimes. So Mark, what is your favorite biblical truth? Like if there's one truth that's your go-to, if there's one chapter, one set of verses, 
you know, oh. what is that one truth that for Mark Lowry means everything? The Message Bible. Do you like it? I like it. I like the new, I like the the living the new Living Translation. Is that right? NLT. Yeah, I love that one. I think that's my new favorite. But anyway, but I memorized this in the Message Bible, and I love it. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. And you count far more to him than birds. Mm -hmm. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. And if God gives such attention to wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. And that's as far as I've gotten on that one. <laughs> man, man, that's good. Oh, well, Because, uh, first of all, Eugene Peterson was a poet. Yeah. And I'm a poet, so to speak. And I love the poetry of that. And I also love the poetry of this one. Are you tired? Worn out? burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with mm. me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm. I'll not put anything too heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep mm. company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And mm. let me tell you something. If the Jesus you serve is a condemning Jesus, you need to fire him. You got the wrong one. He said, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If your Jesus, Russ Taft told me this, his therapist told him this, if your Jesus is a condemning Jesus, you need to fire him. You got the wrong one. Mm. John chapter 3 says he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. John 8, when the crowd came with their stones. Think about it. You can't stone someone if you don't have a rock in your hand. They brought the rock to the occasion because they knew what their intentions were. Mm. They needed to drop the rocks that were already in their hands, but... The woman was caught in the act of adultery. There's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, there's a good possibility she was unclothed. She was caught in the very act. Their goal was to show her as much shame as they possibly could. But you remember Jesus, the only one in the audience who had the legal right spiritually to stone her to death, said to her, neither do I condemn thee. And then this is the part people don't understand. The caveat was, go and sin no more. People believe we're preaching the message of be forgiven and, and go and live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. 
When you experience the uncondemning love of Jesus, your heart's desire is to go yeah. and sin no more. And you mm. know what? I think that when Jesus said that to her, he's like, honey, it's almost like this is the first day of the rest of your life. <laughs> it isn't yeah. like, oh my gosh, how am I going to keep from sin? Of course Jesus knew she'd sin again. A man who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Until we get yeah. home, we're going to be infected with sin. But I don't believe we are uh, come from original, uh, what they call it, original sin. I mm. believe in original virtue. I believe we were infected by sin, yeah. You no, know, and that we and Jesus is the antidote. Mm-hmm. You know, His blood is the antidote for yeah. our sin. And uh, don't look, you know, this original sin nonsense. Who came up with that? No, in the mm-hmm. garden. For who knows how long they were in the garden before sin was ever infected into them? You know, yeah, they could have been there years. Who knows? Hey y'all, can we do this sometime on my on my little live broadcast? Sure, time? I would love to. Yeah, that I would love to. Yeah, enjoy this just talking with y'all. You tell but, us when we'll be there, Mark. When you were quoting from the message, it, it was memorized. When you were quoting from the message a minute ago, I guarantee you, there were some of our listeners who, some of them, many of them, are still in fundamentalism. Yeah, Many of them have left fundamentalism, but they're either just out or they're trying to figure out how to get out. I guarantee you some of our listeners have mocked the message, mm-hmm. preached against the message, and many of them have probably never read it or heard it quoted. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you there were people that got chill bumps like I just did when you were quoting that because that was beautiful. And the beautiful thing about a paraphrase is they're not claiming that it's a version it's almost like a sermon or a, a poem written about Scripture. They're not yeah. claiming that's the authority. They're saying, this is my interpretation of Scripture. And that was, when you were quoting both of those passages, man, that was so beautiful. But if you lay them side by side, you know, I really think they will help you understand the KJV. I Absolutely. Agree. 100%. And I think the KJV is fantastic. But oh, yeah. It's, you know, it... it the, you know, I know some people think if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us. Paul didn't have the KJV, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> Somebody's know, head so just exploded. <laughs> it is not the one and only. You know, there's the NLT, there's the NIV, and, and the thing, all of them. And, but, but the thing is, none of them are the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. It tells us, listen, if the Bible doesn't lay you in the lap of Jesus, it hasn't mm. done its job. That's, right. That's good. It's like looking at a picture of Niagara Falls and saying, you've been there. No, That's right. Jesus is the walking, talking, living, breathing Word of God, and Jesus is the last word God had to say about himself. Mm. Amen. Jesus is the only thing God has to say about himself. Mm. When you have seen Jesus, you have seen Jehovah. Mm. Well, Mark, I remember back in 1992, Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Tivoli Theater. I was in high school and I ended up at one of your concerts. (laughs) And I think I was on the second row. And I remember... 
there were dancers on the stage. Right. You had dancers. Right. <laughs> and they came out and you started off with a song. And Jesus say amen. Yeah. You might be Presbyterian. I do all the denominations. Oh, man, it was so funny. And I remember many of the jokes and the stories, and you talked about the different denominations. And, man, I was a little fundamentalist Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist boy, and it was deeper in me than I realized. It's been 25 years, and it's still bits of the legalism are coming out. I remember being there, and I told you guys before the podcast started that that Mark Lowry was on stage pretending to be a comedian yeah. and I was on second row pretending to be a Christian yeah. because I was on a date. Oh. I was on a date with a real Christian girl and man, I was pretending as well as I could. Well, I didn't do too good of a job because I don't think she stayed with me after that concert. I, I guess I could blame that on you, but it worked out really, really well for me. Because Give him his I money back, the, hey man. I met the love of my life and we've got four beautiful children and it's a beautiful love story. But I remember being there and just hearing the humor and hearing the truth and hearing the scripture and hearing the call to be saved, man, it was it was awesome. And you actually recorded that and made it a DVD. And I am on the DVD multiple times. I made the recording. And I sent you a picture of that before. And we'll post that on social media. But man, I still remember how awesome that concert was and how liberating it is to laugh. Yeah. And that was something that uh, you just really didn't do a whole lot at independent fundamental Baptist churches. You you cried a lot and you went yeah. to the altar a lot, but you just didn't laugh a lot. Yeah. Well, I remember that night. That was the second video I had made for Word Records and and it was a fun night, you know. We I'm so glad that whole dancing thing is over. I never had to do that again. Because that was forever to learn how to even those few steps. But uh, it was fun. Yeah, it's, it's been a great journey. I've, I've enjoyed this trip. And I'm winding down now. You know, I'm, I'm not totally retiring, but I'm slowing down. So, Well, you are a legend. Mark, you know, I, I agree with what Nathan just said. You, you, you're a legend. I mean, you've you've played a role in a lot of people that are listening, uh, a lot of people that maybe secretly have listened to uh, some of your videos because, you know, laughing isn't something that's necessarily done in the church a lot. And I want to thank you as a, a kid growing up that's always had a sense of humor and ADHD and all this, like you were a go-to and and making people laugh. And I was like, there is hope. We can make people laugh and still be in ministry. And so here we are. Um, I'm interested to know this. This is something I've always wanted to know. Was there anybody on the Gaither tour or that sang with the Gaithers that just didn't like your humor and would get upset with you? Well, J.D. Sumner didn't at first. But, that wasn't uh, an act. He was no, legit. No, no, he, he, really did, he didn't. I didn't know it. I, you know, I'm oblivious. I think everybody loves me, and I don't know why they shouldn't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I could enter a room just oblivious and just so thrilled to be there in complete innocence. Yeah. But he didn't like my effervescence, I guess. <laughs> and, but I made it a point to become his friend. And, and I didn't know he didn't like me when I was trying to become his friend because I knew he'd lost his wife. I knew he lived near me. And I knew he ate breakfast, surely, you know, and he needs to eat breakfast with me because I saw him lean over and whisper in George Yance's ear 
at one of those tapings and George Yance laughed so hard, he nearly coughed up a lung. And I, at that moment, I said, I'm going to know that man. I'm going to know anybody that funny. I have to know them. I just, I'm drawn like a moth to a flame. to yeah. funny. <laughs> and so I, you know, we became good friends and I was reading the Grace Awakening at the time and I would go over to his house and tell him what I was learning and he was interested in it too because, you know, he told me one time, he said, if I make it to heaven, it'll be by the skin of my teeth. And I said, well, ain't nobody getting in by the skin of their teeth. And I started explaining to him the gospel really and and how crazy God is about us. And from all that I was learning from that Chuck Swindoll book, and he would mull it over in his mind and then spit it back out in an eighth grade vocabulary that was mo- more profound than uh, Swindoll. Mm. I mean, huh. J- uh, J.D. was genius, but he figured it, he realized the grace of God. It dawned on him. Because huh. he'd heard enough scripture. All you got to do is recall it, you know. It helped people to recall it. And um, and he left this earth knowing the Lord. I'm not saying he got saved. He may have been saved. We never had a bow your head experience. Yeah. But I saw it dawn on him. And, uh, you know, you know them by their fruit. Yeah. You don't know mm. them by what they say. You know, we were taught you can just blab it. You're okay. Hey, what's your <laughs> fruit like? Is, right. is it joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness? Are you nice? Are you a mean son of a gun who just, you know, <laughs> well, then you're not, that, that's not spirit, you know. Yeah. Well, Mark, one thing that we haven't said uh, on the podcast that I think needs to be said before we close out, you're actually an awesome singer. And, you know, your part was the baritone part. And you always stood between really the greatest singers in the history of gospel music. Bill Gaither only employed the best. And the reason he employed you is because your voice was velvety smooth. You were always on your part. And while you weren't the show off or while you weren't the attention grabber, if your part had been removed from the Gaither vocal band, there would have been an enormous chasm the size of the Grand Canyon. You... You're a great singer, and you did that part incredibly well. Thank you. Well, I loved that part. I, it was scary <laughs> at first because I'd never sung it, and um, and didn't I'd heard of a baritone, but I'd never ever sung it. I always sang lead, the lead part, you know. And Mama sang alto, and and then someone else would sing tenor or whatever, and or and when we did trio stuff. But Gaither gently, I mean, I saw him in rehearsals really chew, not, you know, his way of chewing people out, like uh, David or Guy when they didn't get their part. But he Wait, never. you mean to tell me David Phelps didn't have his part on certain oh, games? That minor third. There's a thing called a minor third. I still don't yeah. know what it is. But Bill would say, oh, that minor, minor that third. Oh. <laughs> You'd better minor your third when Bill tells you. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what a minor third is, but he was singing my part in my ear, and he never chewed me out if I didn't get it because he mm-hmm. knew I was trying as hard as I could, and I was not a 
that caliber of a musician. You know, they were trained, these people. Guy Penrod was a background singer in Nashville. You got to be great to be a background singer. And yeah. I wasn't. How old were you when you got with the Gaithers? 30. 30. What was that process like? How'd you do that? Well, Roy Morgan was promoting a Gaither show, and he had, he was my booking agent, and he handed Bill my video, a video that I had made. And Gary McSpadden was leaving at the time. And Bill thought, well, this might be a new twist. He thought my voice would work. And he thought maybe my crazy antics might be something new. So he asked me to come audition. So I made my brother go with me. We drove from Atlanta, where I was living at the time, drove to Nashville, went into the studio. I had learned Daystar. Mm. And the baritone part, which I had to call a friend over to sing it to me in my ear so I could hear it because I couldn't pick Gary's part out because he blends so well. And um, so he sang it to me. I learned it. I went, and I had no intentions of joining the vocal band. I had just signed with Word Records as a solo artist, but I wanted to meet Bill Gaither. That's the only reason (laughs) I went. And so me and my brother drove to Nashville. We went into the studio where they were, and it was me, Michael English, and Jim Murray around one microphone. That was who the group existed of at the time. Bill and uh, somebody, another, you know, producers were in the listening to see how I blended with them. I didn't know what they were doing, but that's what they were doing. And I sang my part, and I guess I did all right, because he asked me to... uh, (laughs) go on the road with them and see how that went. Mm. And so I said, okay. And, you know, just I kept saying, okay. Till f- and I was a little nervous. I told Bill, I said, I don't know if I can do a solo career and vocal band. And he mm. said, I'll never forget this. He said, well, I've always done many things at the same time. <laughs> and I thought, well, then I can too. <laughs> so I did. I had a solo career and a, Gave the vocal band at the same time. Mm. I was doing hundreds of concerts a year at that time because I would do Gator wow. and, the, and my poor booking agent had to toss and make all that work, you know. So yeah. it's been a fun trip. That's the reason I'm so thankful we don't believe in reincarnation because I know my next trip would be a frog. I've had <laughs> such good trips. <laughs> And I know I'd be a frog in the next life. That's it. Well, Mark, we have thoroughly enjoyed having you on tonight. It's been good just to talk to you, hear your heart. And I know our listeners are excited just to pull back the curtain and get a little bit of insight of what Mark Lowry is like. Because we see you on tapes, we hear you singing on stage, and we kind of feel like we know you just because you're funny. But tonight, I think they've really seen your heart. And so I thank you for just coming on and, and being real. Well, it's been my pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and I hope I've made sense. You have, brother. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Free Life Soap. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use your promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your order. Help Miss McCribbin take Free Life Soap to a whole nother level. Guys, this has been a great episode. I'm going to go rest for the trip that we're leaving to tomorrow for Vegas. But we're back when this airs. I'm so confused in my brain. But let's go to Vegas, <laughs> baby. We're about to have some fun. Go double the love go. on. 
Let's go double the love offering, amen. Y'all have a good week. Be sweet. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.